We've been going through 2 Corinthians, and, um, you know, I, I, I meet with a coach on the phone um, every now and then, a coach of mine, just to, so I can keep growing. And um, his challenge to me, he's a pastor in Georgia, and his challenge for me after knowing me and hearing my life was to do a series that I would find particularly encouraging. And my mind went straight to 2 Corinthians. And um, the theme of 2 Corinthians is strength through weakness. And I always try to preach to myself whenever I preach from here. Try to make sure that it's not me, you know, Pastor Matt with all his stuff together, preaching at all of you. I try to preach to myself. In 2 Corinthians, I think that I've been preaching to myself more intensely or aggressively uh, than I have in a long time, which is probably why the wooden pulpit is broken. <laughs> it broke, so we're using this metal thing here. Uh, I don't know if you all needed it. I, I've needed it. But when I think about it, and I think about specific people, even as, as um, Matt was praying, I was being a bad boy, and I didn't have my eyes closed, and I was looking at our church, at different specific people, and I know that many of you are going through it right now. In one way, shape, or form, you're going through some of you. Uh, like I asked David Becky the other day how he was doing, and he said that, that he's be in between trials right now. <laughs> That's kind of like the way it is. You're either trial or you're in between trials, like one of the two. But you all have gone through it. Some of you are in it right now. And so we need the heart of Paul's letter here to uh, the church in Corinth. The heart of it is strength through weakness. Everybody, everybody has a trial. My question for you is, what are you going through right now? It might be a strain in a relationship. It might be your health. It might be uh, the, the loss or the fear of losing somebody that, that, that you care about. Uh, it might be uh, your children, and they're ruining their, their lives, and you see them falling apart in front of you, or your parents are abusive, whatever it is. Uh, that's going on. You lost your job. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's all of the above for some of you. I want you to keep whatever it is or however many things there are, I want you to keep those things in mind as, as we go through this. And I've asked you this before, almost every single sermon, what is it that you're going through? Because I can't do all the application for you, and I shouldn't do all the application for you, but I can challenge you, encourage you to, to grasp onto the gospel and ask the Holy Spirit uh, to show you how to apply it to your heart and life right where you are in the middle of your trial, in the middle of your suffering, in the middle of your heartache, in the middle of your hope deferred, in the middle of your discouragement. I want you to actively listen, not just passively let it go in one ear and out the other. So as we go, I want you to apply this to your life. What we usually do when we go through our trials and hardships, we do one of two things most of the time. 
We either wallow in self-pity or we think of someone that we believe has it way worse than we do, right? And then we tell ourselves that, that our struggles aren't as bad as what they're going through and then we short circuit the process of applying God's word and God's gospel to our own heart and life where we are right now. So don't compare yourself to someone else who might be doing worse than you. Guess what? They can find somebody worse than they're doing, right? Everybody can. God wants to speak to you right here, right now, in the midst of whatever it is that, that you're going through, even if you can think of a million people who might be doing worse. God wants to grow you. So don't short-circuit that, that process. I know because I'm tempted myself to, to do that. And as I think about all the different things that our church is going through, you know, the different families and individuals, and as we're going through, just happen to be going through 2 Corinthians here with a heart being strength through weakness, I just get the sense that God is teaching us as a church what that means. When we are weak, the Lord's strength is perfected. Not just in theory, but in down-to-earth, real-life ways. I think God is teaching that to our church. I think we're in it together. We all have our own individual stories, but together as a church, we're all part of the same story. It's counterintuitive, this idea of strength through weakness. It's countercultural, countercultural, and if it's going to stick, we've got to soak in it. I thank God that the scripture is honest about trials. That, that, that the scriptures give us meaning and purpose that, that cannot be robbed by whatever suffering it is that, that you're going through. I told you a few weeks ago, I'm reading a book by, I read a book by a popular author whose suggestion was don't think about the evil and the suffering in the world. Otherwise, you'll want to kill yourself or kill other people, and that's not good. So don't think about it. Focus on the good stuff. Best-selling author. Scriptures don't do that. So we're going to go to our next text so we can continue to soak in this idea of strength through weakness. It's on the screen. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 through 10. And our topic this morning is don't waste your thorn. In other words, don't waste your suffering. Paul says this beginning in verse 7. And I, we don't do this every Sunday. And we probably won't do it every Sunday. But I want to invite you to stand with me as we read this. If you can. To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
For the sake of Christ, then, I am content, or another translation says, I will rejoice with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is God's word. Please have a seat. For this passage that we're looking at today, I want to focus on the thorn in the flesh, and I want us to tackle three questions, and they are, what is this thorn in the flesh? Why do we have this thorn in our flesh? And how should we respond to this thorn in our flesh? And the first one is, what is this thorn in the flesh? It is two things, and I'm telling you right now, you're not going to like them. At least not together. If you think about it seriously, it's probably going to frustrate you. So let's submit ourselves to the teaching of the scriptures. And what we will see when we do is that the thorn in the flesh is both a messenger of Satan and a gift from God. Both of those. At the same time, a messenger of Satan and a gift from God. That sounds perfectly messed up, doesn't it? (laughs) Thank you. It's not just me. As Paul says in verse 7, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. And then when he says, to keep me from being conceited, a thorn was given me. When he says this, what he is telling you is that the Lord gave it to me. This thorn in the flesh, which caused him more pain, more suffering than anything else that he has been through. And remember all the horrible things that he went through, people throwing rocks at him and beaten and shipwrecked and and whipped and all that. Then this worst thing ever, this thorn in the flesh, was given to him by the Lord. That's what it says. Now for me intellectually, I'm going to go, no, that's lame. I don't believe that at all. But then I'd have to disagree with God's word. And so we got to accept that there's probably a few things that, that we don't understand and be okay with it and humbly ask the Lord to teach us. It's both a messenger of Satan and the gift of God. So I know that this raises objections. I know that, that, that you know, it raises questions like, you know, I thought God only, only gave us good things. I don't get it. Well, remember Job. From the Old Testament, many, 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 many years ago before the the New Testament days, in the first two chapters of the book of Job, we get a sneak peek behind the scenes. And Satan goes to God and God says to Satan, where have you been? And Satan says, well, I've been roaming throughout the earth. And God says, well, have you seen my servant Job? He loves me and he obeys me. And Satan says, well, of course he loves you and obeys you, but only because you shower him with all of these blessings and riches and family. If you take all all of it away, all of his earthly blessings away, I will bet you that he will curse you to your face. And God says, I'll take that bet. So God allowed Satan to bring suffering to Job. But, God says, you cannot take his life. 
So God maintains control. And we see the same thing in our text here. Satan is the source of thorns in the flesh, but at the same time, in ways that we don't understand and probably won't understand in this life, God is in control every second. And you know what? God's purpose for our suffering is for good. Now, we're told in the scriptures, we learn from the scriptures that, that what the evil one means for uh, evil is, is destruction. But what, but, but what God, God's purpose is, is to use that evil for good, to turn it upside down on itself and use it for good. Now, what was Paul's thorn in the flesh? How is this messenger of, of Satan, this, this thorn, how is it manifested in his life? We're not told. And you know what that means? What I said last week? Because we're not told, it means that, that this applies, our teaching here this morning applies to your thorn as well. So again, I want you to bring your mind back to it. What is your thorn that you're, that you're experiencing right now? What is the thorn in your flesh right now that you are experiencing? What is it that is just robbing you of joy right now? What is it that is frustrating you and just draining you or maybe filling you with fear? What is it, what is it in, your, in your relationships or maybe, maybe it's uh, financial or it could be physical or emotional or spiritual? What's yours? I've got mine. I've got a list. Keep it in mind and remember, fight the temptation to say, well, compared to others, it's not that bad. That might be true, but that is not the best way to think about it. God wants to apply this to your life, in your heart, in the midst of it. Whatever it is, keep it in mind as we look at our next question. And our next question is this, why? Why do you have your thorn in the flesh. Well, what's Satan's purpose? What's God's purpose? Satan wants to use it to torment you, but God wants to use it to pin you. And, and it sounds like an MMA move. That's not what I'm talking about. I'll explain what I mean in a second. Paul says in verse 7, Satan's purpose is to harass me, or your translation might say to torment me. And the word for thorn can mean either a splinter or a stake that you would use to drive into the ground to secure your, your tent or whatever. Either way, Satan's purpose is to use this splinter or use this sharp stake to harass you or torment you, to bring you pain, to break you. Any of you feeling that right now in the midst of your suffering? On the other hand, God turns that upside down and inside out. God's purpose for your thorn is to pin you to Jesus. God wants to give you a closer relationship with him. And when Paul asked God to take his thorn away, and when he pleaded with God to take it away, what did God say? 
God said, read this together with me. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And that applies to you. Whatever it is that you're going through, God is telling you, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. This is critical right here, I'm telling you. And you know what? These are the only time, this is the only time where we see uh, God's direct words in this letter. And God says to you, regarding your thorn in your flesh, my grace is sufficient for you. My, my power is made perfect in your weakness, in the midst of your trials, and, and you're struggling. You know where we see the ultimate picture of God's power made perfect in weakness? We see it in Jesus Christ. Jesus was crucified in weakness, but then he was raised again in power. And so God's purpose is for you to be so close to Jesus that you share in Christ's weaknesses so that the power of God will rest on you in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your heartbreak. God's purpose is redemptive suffering for you to demonstrate to the world that God's grace is sufficient, that no matter how much you suffer, no matter how weak you are, it is God's grace that empowers you to live with poise and power in your suffering. That is the power of the gospel. Again, the story of Job helps us get this. Why? I mean, what, why did Job have these thorns in the flesh? I mean, he, if you read the story, he suffered great loss. Family, health, riches, I mean, he just went through. He had no idea what was happening to him. But we know, because we get to read it. We get a behind-the-scenes peek of what was really going on. And what we see is that Job's personal drama on earth started with the cosmic drama in heaven. And Satan says, of course Job loves you. You gave him health and family and riches. People like Job follow you because you bribe them with earthly blessings. But you take away those earthly blessings and Job will curse you to your face. So here's the question I want to present to you this morning that I want you to wrestle with this morning. My question for you, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your heartache, in the midst of your disappointment, is God worthy of your trust? In the midst of your frustration, is God still worthy of your love? In the midst of, of everything, just your life, just nothing about it, going according to plan, is he still worthy for you to obey him? That's what's at stake here when it comes to your suffering. You're part of the cosmic drama. The same cosmic drama as Job. Is God worthy to be trusted when your life is just hard? Let me put it this way. 
do you only want what God can give you or do you want him? In your struggle, God wants you to be perfectly satisfied in him, totally dependent on him as a demonstration to a confused world that God is enough, that he can be trusted. He is worthy, that God is all you need no matter what. You're in the same cosmic drama as Job. Third question. So how should we respond? This thorn that's in the flesh, how, sh- how should we respond? Two things. Be real about the pain and be what? <laughs> yeah! That's exactly right. To be thankful. To be real about the pain and to be thankful. If you're old enough to have gone through some ugliness in your life, you know this doesn't make a bit of sense. What do you mean I'm supposed to be thankful? Well, let's look at that. Paul was real about his weakness, he was honest. He regularly talked about his struggles and pain, and it comes down to this. His realization was, if anything, if there's anything good in my life, if there's any good that, that happens you know, through uh, you know, my ministry, it is not because I am strong, it's not because I'm intellectual, it's not because you know, I'm a great orator, it's, it's not because you know, I'm impressive, it has nothing to do with it, it only has to do with the grace of God. It's only because God is doing it through him, especially when he's weak, especially when he's not impressive. That's important for, I hope that messes you up a little bit because we are so conditioned in our world to be as impressive as you can be and to desire to be as impressive as we can be. <laughs> it's just foolishness. So Paul, now he talks about his greatest pain, the thorn in the flesh, the, the, the thing that just robbed him of, of his joy the most and and caused him more pain than anything else and drained him the most. And then he says in verse 8, I pleaded. I pleaded with the Lord that it should leave me. And so let me tell you something. We should do the same. We should plead that, you know, that the Lord takes it away from us, whatever it is. We should, we should enlist and treat others that, that they would pray on our behalf that the Lord would take, take it away. But... If God decides not to remove the thorn, we should be thankful as if it were a gift? Sounds like nonsense to me. Let's looking at it through the world's lens. Look what Paul says in verse 9 and 10. He says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content. I delight in weaknesses. So, listen up. 
You got that thing in your mind, that issue, that pain. Like Paul, you should boast in your weaknesses. You should delight in God's purpose for it so that Christ's power rests upon you. You should rejoice that God is using your thorn to pin you closer to Jesus so that others see the difference that his grace makes in your life. You should be thankful for the opportunity to show others that God is enough and that God is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our love. He is worthy of our obedience. Even when our possessions and our loved ones and our health and our comfort and our conveniences are all taken away. But the question is, how? How in the world can we do that? And the answer is, you can't. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? We can't end there. Most preaching will say, you know, be strong. You suck, I mean, suck it up with, I don't know, it's the modern English version, suck it up. Persevere. There you go, persevere. Bible verses, lots of Bible truth. But they leave you, they leave it up to you and, and for, for your hope to be found in you and your ability. And you know if you're really going through it, that is useless to you. Useless. You know, the past three plus years, you know, there's a bunch of craziness going on in our family. You know, and I'm trying to process everything, you know. And I can think all this stuff that's going wrong. It's nothing compared to what my wife Shannon is going through with her health issues. There it is. Tempted not to process whatever's going on in my heart because she has it way worse. Right? There are times where I failed miserably at knowing that God is enough. But there have been other times when I was amazed to see God's power at work in weakness in spite of me. And I see he gets all the credit. I'm still learning what it means. When I'm weak, that is when I'm strong. There are still plenty of times that when I'm weak, I'm just plain weak. Anybody relate? So what makes the difference? The difference does not come down to just trying harder. It doesn't come down to just trying to muster up you know, gratitude on, in your own strength and flesh. The difference comes down to faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in who he is and what he has done for you and what he's doing. Faith in him and his promises. That he is enough. You know what? When I focus on myself, when I focus on my thorn, then you know what? When I, when I, what happens when I focus on that? I am weak. But when I focus on King Jesus, who he is, and what he's done, and, and, and I have to declare this 
good news to you on Sunday morning or when I'm standing back there in the front and, and, and we're singing the songs about the goodness of, of Jesus and who he's done and you're processing that in light of what it is that, that, that you're going through, it changes your heart. It stirs up your, your love for, for God. And you become not so demanding for answers anymore because you trust him. He's got you. And it all goes back to faith in Jesus, who he is and what he has done. God doesn't mess with you. He doesn't toy with you. He doesn't manipulate you. And if you think that, that is the evil one whispering in your ear and he's using you like a pawn and he will throw you away. God wants the best for you. And God knows you won't accept that at face value. So he convinced us with the cross. No matter what hap else happens in your life, you can look to the cross and you can know that God loves you and wants the best for you. You might not be able to connect the dots. You may not be able to until you're with him in glory, but God wants the best for you. It comes down to faith in Christ, who he is and what he has done. When I focus on that in my weakness, that's when I'm strong. And then delighting in, in weakness or boasting in weakness becomes an expression of faith. It's, it's faith laughing in the face of evil. Those are the times, by God's grace, I get to experience Christ's power resting on me in spite of me. You know, if, if you've read any of Paul's work in the New Testament, it's not surprising that faith in Christ was how Paul could be strong in weakness. But what is surprising is that Job, many, 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 many years before Christ, won the bet for God through faith in Christ as well. Jesus teaches us that in Luke 24. And in Job... When we look, read Job through the lens of the gospel, what we see is that Job longs for the one who will intervene between God and his people. Job longs for the one who will bring an end to his pain and bring an end to his suffering forever. And, and Job says, if only there were someone to arbitrate between us, to lay his hand upon his both, someone to remove God's rod from me. And Job's faith ultimately rests in Jesus, and that's why he declares, even now my witness is in heaven, my advocate is on high, my intercessor is my friend, as my eyes pour out tears to God. On behalf of a man, he pleads with God as a man pleads for his friend. In Job's moment of deepest despair, his faith and his hope are renewed because he knows that there is one who will triumph over suffering and death. And so Job goes on to say, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, how my heart yearns within me. 
He has faith in Christ. And he knows him as Redeemer. He didn't get an answer, God, why specifically are you doing this? That's not what he was focused on. He was focused on his Redeemer. And so when you're going through it, and when you're suffering, and when you are weak, the only way that you can be strong is through faith in Jesus. And the weaker you are, the stronger you will be through Christ's power that rests on you. Can I ask you for a favor? We all remind me of that when I forget it. I will. And I need you. We need each other. It's so easy to forget, isn't it? I'll end with this. Uh, telling you about a, a man that I met at a church many years ago here in Escondido, closer to downtown Escondido, at a church plant down there. I was probably fourth or, or uh, fifth grade. His, this man's name was Jerry Merrill. And it turns out the first service, there's a couple there who knew him for, and were friends with him for, for a long time. That was kind of cool. He was one of the elders on the board there at the church, for like 14 years or, or something. And he, he died a while ago from complications, from, from diabetes, and he got it when he was young. And, and back then they didn't have the same treatments for it as, as they do today. And so in his early 20s, he went blind. And, um, you know, a, a, as a kid, you know, I was fourth grade or whatever. I, I've never known a blind person or seen a blind person you know, up close, and, you know, little kids, they have a tendency to stare at things that they don't understand, you know, and their parents are always worried that it's rude, but I figured he can't see me staring anyway, so, <laughs> right? And, and, and it disturbed me a little bit because I didn't know how he could live, let alone just survive by not being able to, to see at all. I mean, he wasn't born with it. I mean, he could see, and then suddenly he couldn't, and it flipped his world uh, uh, upside down. And the reason he went blind was that the effects of the diabetes kind of like ruined the nerves in, in, his, in his eyes. And, and, uh, and the reason I can tell you about him is because uh, he has amazing testimony of God's grace in his life that even now, as I am telling you, continues to live on far beyond the grave, all right? So um, me telling you about him even brings more, more to the story, I think. Um, part of his story is that when he became blind, there were many times where he would shake his fist at God and say, why are you doing this to me? Why did you let this happen? Why me? Why now? And he struggled with confusion and he struggled with bitterness towards God. Maybe some of you are there right now or you have been. But there was a radical change that took place in his heart and his life through something that happened through his uh, third child, young Joshua. When Joshua was a toddler, he got a 
horrible case of chicken pox that gave him an intense fever, and they rushed him to Children's Hospital just in, in time, apparently, and the doctor said that an infection had set in on the growth plate that was located on the ball and socket of his hip, and if they didn't treat him soon, um, then, then everything would be ruined and his leg would stop growing. And so they needed to treat him right away. And that meant that they had to get an IV into the vein of this toddler. Um, shots are bad enough, right? But a big metal straw of a needle and a tiny little arm with little veins that are difficult to find. I mean, Jerry had to, and, his, and his wife had to hold Joshua down while he was screaming in pain and agony, something that must have felt like torture to him. And Jerry said, I know what my son must be thinking. Like, Dad, why are you letting this happen to me? And, and Jerry knew that he had to let that happen because it was the path to healing. And if that didn't happen, there was worse suffering in his future. And so that gave him insight into his own life. He said that God taught him through his young toddler son, uh, Joshua, about the love of a perfect father that sustains us. And as strong as ever, even in the midst of suffering, that the suffering we experience is part of the path to, to, to healing, even when we don't under, understand it. You know, he was hoping that once his son got through all that, that one day when his son got older, his son would actually be able to one day, when he finally understood, to be able to thank his dad for allowing him to go through that pain. Right? And he thought, maybe one day I will be able to thank my Heavenly Father for what I have been going through, even though I don't understand. Now check this out. This guy, Jerry, this man, he managed to, he was determined to stay active. In fact, my dad told me then when he went to go visit uh, Jerry to see how he was doing, that Jerry was doing just fine. He was in the garage changing the brakes on his wife's car. I would want to get that double checked. <laughs> but it's pretty impressive no matter what. But he also, um, because he couldn't drive, uh, he would take the bus a lot. And if, you're, if your bus is your primary mode of transportation, you get to know others whose uh, primary mode of transportation is the bus as well. And so you get to know each other. Conversations started happening. Eventually, you know, conversation would often come up about his blindness, because they're impressed with how active he is, or, you know, you're just sharing your life with each other as you get to know people. And since that came up, he wrote a little pamphlet. 
And the title of the pamphlet said, My Father Made Me Blind. Now that's going to get their attention, right? And what he would do is he would explain to them how through his toddler, Josh, his own eyes were open to how his loving Heavenly Father made him blind for a higher purpose, and he was living that out right then and there. That's someone who could boast in his weakness. He was delighting in his hardship. He was, he was being used by God to show others the difference that Jesus makes. How could he be convinced that his heavenly father loved him? How, how could he know that God really did, in fact, love him even while he was going through this suffering? How can you know that God really loves you as you're going through, through your trials and your heartache or your health problems or loss, whatever it is? How can you rest in the fact that your father in heaven would bring nothing into your life that wouldn't ultimately be for your good? How can you rest in that? Listen, God doesn't answer all of your questions about suffering. He won't, okay? We may demand it, but he's not going to answer all of our questions. He doesn't send us on our way with an airtight argument. He gives us an airtight relationship with God the Son, King Jesus has come to us in weakness and on the cross he took all of the sin and all of the pain and all of the suffering upon himself and his father did nothing. And Jesus cried out in weakness, why? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why the cross? The cross is the only way to bring an end to evil and suffering without bringing an end to us. It was the only way to save us from ultimate greater suffering and a greater evil. So he was crucified, he was dead, and, and he died in shame. But on the third day, he rose again in power. And one day... He will return in glory. And he will raise our bodies from dust, wipe away every tear, remove every thorn, and we will see him. We will see our heavenly father, and then we will finally understand. Until that day, I want you to know that he is with you. In the midst of whatever it is you're facing, he is with you, he is for you, he has proven his love for you on the cross. So in the midst of it, look to Jesus. In the midst of it, look to what he has done for you. And when you do, when you see Jesus living for you and dying for you and rising again in power, you will see that God is worthy of all your love. He is worthy of all of your trust. He is worthy of all of your obedience, even when your earthly blessings are all taken away. So, rejoice, delight, in your weakness, 
And as you do, it'll only happen as you look to Christ. And when others see that, God will use that to convince them that God's grace is sufficient, that Jesus is enough. So trust him and live for his glory. Amen? All right. Would you bow your heads with me?